Today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. Uh, Let's move on and continue this discussion and try to learn as much as we possibly can. Uh, and, and let's bring in Muna Bile. She is a bilingual black justice coordinator, Hamilton Community Legal Clinic, and with us now. Muna, thank you for the time. Much appreciated. Thank you so much for having me. So, uh, Muna, we've certainly seen what has been going on uh, with protests, demonstrations uh, across around the world uh, since the death of George Floyd. Is it different this time? We've seen this happen time and time again. We always say we're going to change. Is it different this time? Unfortunately, I wish I could say it was different. I don't think it is uh, different. As you mentioned, we see this all of the time. Um, I think what um, we are just finally starting to understand is that Canada is not immune to racism. Um, we remember Andrew Loku, Abdurrahman Abdi, uh, Jandre Campbell, and many others who have failed, uh, who were failed by mental health services, but also killed by police in what often looks like uh, state-sanctioned murder. Um, so in um, 2017, there was a coroner jury uh, made, which made 30 recommendations after the fatal shooting of Andrew Loku by Toronto police. And to this day, many have not been implemented. And now we have another death on our hands, which is that of, unfortunately, Regis uh, Korczynski-Paquet. So um, this idea that you know, this only happens across the border and that it stops there is a fallacy. We know, for instance, that in Hamilton, we were supposed to have a Hamilton Anti-Racism Resource Center, um, which was launched on April 4th, 2018, right? But that was also paused within 10 months. So that sends a strong message to those that are living with racism on a daily basis that, and particularly the black community who are most targeted in these hate-based incidents. Um, I think we have a lot of work to do and we're not, we're barely getting started. So Uh, the eight minute, uh, over eight minute video that we saw that everybody has seen of George Floyd losing his life, uh, Mm -hmm. being murdered. Uh, um, How does that change this discussion? Does it not? I think um, what it certainly does is that now, uh, this racism, this anti-black racism, which we have always known, which was deeply entrenched and still is in Canadian institutions, policies and practices, um, and which has unfortunately often made anti-black racism appear normal or invisible to the large uh, white society, is now being recorded. It's now being published. It's being shared often on social media. So you can't um, assume that this is a unique issue that's happening to maybe two or three individuals. We know that this is the reality of uh, many uh, members of the Black community in this country, as well as, of course, across the border. And what is happening is now there is more organizations, more um, uh, protests, and people who uh, initially thought that they didn't have any stake in this conversation are joining after educating themselves and learning about how this is affecting all of us. Would you say that this video has more impact than any policy to date? I mean, it has, has it not? I mean, I I think it's really uh, disheartening to say, but I think it really does because not a single um, policy or legislation has been uh, strong enough to address these issues up to date. 
what actually is happening is that people are seeing, like you and I, these videos, and that is um, enraging and bringing the rage up to those that have not only experienced this, but those that are allies. And folks are finding out that being an ally is to act on that. And I think that is what is pushing the conversation further. And people are taking advantage of this momentum to hopefully um, resonate with legislators, with officials, to make uh, robust uh, policies and end these lip service, these conversations, these consultations, these ideas that we need to have maybe more conversations to understand what these issues are about. We're finally understanding that this is an issue that we have always known about, that there's no need for uh, community consultation anymore. There's enough research, statistics, report, um, that demonstrates that this is a problem. It's an active problem in our society. Yeah, I don't think we need any more proof of this. Uh, we're certainly seeing to see it on a daily basis. As I mentioned earlier, there's a, there's a video that has surfaced today in regard to a situation uh, regarding an RCMP officer and an indigenous person, which, you know, we'll talk about at a later date on the sh- or later time on the show later on today. But, yeah. you know, it, it is everywhere. And you can't, can, can people deny this anymore? I think um, people still, unfortunately, do deny this. Um, as though it's, uh, you know, unique to other um, countries. But the reality is there is no denying of it, you know. And I think what is helpful now is that allies are taking part of the conversation. The burden isn't always and shouldn't be on racialized people. This is a public uh, health crisis. Racism is a crisis in our country. And I think what's happening finally is that those that didn't think they had... um, any ways to talk about this or maybe felt uncomfortable, didn't know the the language to express themselves, are understanding that it's a journey to learn. It's a journey to be an ally, to understand that your fellow human beings' lives matter just as much as yours. So I'm hopeful for that shift. I, I certainly hope that it will, however, turn into real legislations and that people understand that you can request uh, a serious response from your officials. Uh, I'm a white guy. I have never experienced this kind of treatment. What do you think white people realize the extent of this? And and that's why, to me, as a white person, this video is so impactful. Do you think, and, and you know, we can't deny, I, I can't sit here and say, well, I didn't know this was going on, because that's that's crap. We all knew what's going on. Um, right. very, very similar to the situation in, in the seniors' homes and such. But uh, I, I, I don't think I understood it was this violent, this malicious. What do you think white people realize what the average black person goes through on a daily basis? I think it's difficult, you know, sometimes to understand what people are going through unless you can walk in their shoes, right? Um, but you can certainly be uh, a supporter. You can certainly be stand in solidarity with a community. Um, and but what is certainly happening is now we have access to all this information, you know, where before we could deny and push it back on simply anecdotal um, that these are anecdotal responses. We know now that there's facts. We know now that there are numbers to uh, support these um, positions. And what I'm happy to see is that 
people are taking it upon themselves to go ahead and learn and educate themselves and ask themselves, you know, if you're in a room um, of uh, senior decision-making uh, folks and that everyone in the room looks the same and thinks the same and has the same lived experience, now they feel a bit more comfortable, and I hope they do, in asking, well, where are the other voices? Why is it just us making these decisions? Um I know that, you know, a hashtag doesn't uh, equate uh, necessarily a strong support, but people now are marching, they're donating, they're educating themselves, they're educating and having very uncomfortable conversations within their personal circles, whether it's their family, friends, or neighbors. Um, and that's the way that we can uh, together address these issues. Um, they're aware, but for the longest time, I believe they thought perhaps that this was not a problem that they could um, deal with or they could resolve or they could even um, get involved in. But I think now when it's coming to their front steps uh, via these videos, via these uh, articles, um, they're more willing to um, get involved and less willing to deny that it doesn't exist. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Uh, I'm a guy in my in my 50s. I remember being younger and thinking, you know, we live in Canada. We all have uh, opportunity. My my mother wasn't born here. She came here as an immigrant as a kid. I'm first generation Canadian. You know, we're led to believe that we all have the same opportunity. We all have the same tools to use, and and that may be the case in theory. Um, and, you know, even those that are marginalized, they can still get ahead, uh, although it may take longer. I think what I've realized over the last 25, 30 years as I've grown as an individual is that, you know, even when those are discriminated, who are discriminated against even work harder than the rest of us and, and, and do obtain that success or, or, or are qualified to, to, to move ahead then are passed by because of the color of their skin. And I think that's what a lot of us in my in the white community are not realizing. Yes, we all have the same opportunities, but once we get to the front door, some of us are let in and some are not, just simply because of, of the color of their skin. And in 2020, it, 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 it's frightening to know that that still happens. Absolutely. And I... I'm glad you said that because I think that's the disconnect that people, especially in, you know, an older generation, um, have a hard time understanding is that, you know, hey, I've also came to this country um, and I have tried uh, and worked my, you know, as hard as possible and I've learned and I've put in the work and that's how I became successful. But the reality is that door remains closed to these community members. Yeah. It remains closed despite having these degrees, despite having this experience, despite having the willingness to do the work. Um, and that's because of the systemic racism that we face. Um, you know, and it's difficult sometimes to explain to people when they don't see it on, for themselves. And when um, these um, institutions and this racism that we speak of is so insidious in the way it is um, in all fashions of um, Canadian institutions, it is present in uh, whether it's, like I said, uh, policies or practices, it is uh, present in the way that we view each other, the way that we promote each other, the way that we um, even take care of each other within the health sector, right? Um, uh, currently with this um, pandemic, 
we have been asking uh, consistently for a race-based data collection. And that isn't so that uh, a specific group of folks can be treated differently, but it's to show that it is affecting that community differently. It is affecting them in a disproportionate rate. And if the, the goal is for us to get ourselves rid of this virus, then we must look at all these facts to make the best decision possible. And I would say that that applies to other um, instances when we want to address an issue, we must look at all the facts and not deny one because it makes us uncomfortable, because maybe we think that it um, puts us in a light of the of an oppressor or uh, or in any negative light. This isn't a personal issue. This is an institutional problem that we all have a stake in. Uh, many have talked uh, and directed their anger towards the, the police. Is this more a societal issue than a police issue? And referring back to that uh, systematic racism, how do we fix that? How, if it's so embedded, if it's so deep, how do you fix that? Um, so, you know, the police is an, is an extension of our society, right? Um, they mm-hmm. work uh, through our tax uh, money. Um, I think that, you know, the city in this case has a lot of uh, power and a lot of opportunity to really make meaningful change. Um, in, the, in the context of uh, the police, for instance, um, it can certainly look at, we can certainly look at ways that we can um, welcome or um, ensure that racialized uh, community members, racialized folks, are at the senior uh, position level making the decisions within these boards, especially within the police board. Um, So it's important, for instance, for the city to appoint black individuals to leadership positions, whether it's in social service agencies and public institutions, commissions, but like I said, mainly and especially in the police board. We need folks that understand through um, uh, not only experience, but experts um, that can apply an anti-black racism lens in the ways that these um, officers operate, in the ways that they respond to um, mental health crises, right? There's no reason why a mental health crisis um, should result in death when police is being called to help. Um, And so I think there are opportunities where the city can certainly take a leadership role. And by taking that first step, that meaningful first step, it will hopefully um, influence other institutions in doing the same. How do we keep this conversation constructive and out of the extremes? And I mean by that both the extreme left and the extreme right, Um, because we've certainly seen, you know, those extreme elements try to hijack this cause. And and you see that, I guess, at at every protest, at every demonstration. Mm -hmm. But how do you keep this conversation uh, out of the extremes and constructive and realistic? Because and here, here's my example. You know, we've heard lots of of chatter in regard to defunding uh, the police. I, I certainly think we should always question how our money's being spent and whether it's being spent efficiently. But mm-hmm. some may view that as an extreme measure. How do we keep this in the center and constructive, where we can actually see some results? Mm-hmm. Well, I think um, the first thing is that we are all human. We make mistakes. You know, we. We may not use the right language. We may have the intention, but our actions may 
um, take a different turn. And so we have to be kind to one another and have these conversations. These conversations are not easy. They're difficult to have within your own family. Imagine having that with your colleagues or with um, officials. Um, so it, it's not an easy uh, task. I don't have, unfortunately, the solutions, but I think that um, in having these conversations, we can, first of all, understand and for once rid this idea that racism isn't a Canadian issue. It's not a Canadian problem. That's the first step. Following that, I believe, um, you know, there, there are those that are currently on the ground and fighting for their lives. And that may come off as... Um, an extreme, uh, it, uh, an, an extreme step, but I think their rage is a right, righteous one, and we should listen to that. We should understand where that is coming from, right? Um, when you have so much pain and trauma that you carry and that you have you know, asked for um, reports, that you, you have actually made reports, you have made um, studies, you have put together recommendations, you have met with officials, you have protested, you have supported, and nothing has worked, you know, I can understand why folks are extremely frustrated with the system, extremely frustrated with other um, community members that seem to just turn their back on because it doesn't apply to them, right? So um, that's the first thing. But then I also understand that you know, um, this idea of defunding the police may seem as a uh, such an extreme idea to many. But the police aren't social workers. The police are not counselors. Um, you know, we can use our funds, our money, our taxpaying dollars towards these social services and programs that will actually support and help and use trained experts to deal with these issues as opposed to calling an officer to respond to them at all times. Officers are not um, meant to deal with all of the elements of our society. Valid point. Uh, Before we leave here, I I just want to ask you, Muna, what message do you want citizens to take from this conversation? Um, That we need your support. This isn't a fight that is only for racialized or indigenous bodies. It is for all of us. We need everyone at the table. Um, and that the fact of, uh, you know, saying black lives matter doesn't mean that other lives don't matter. It means that without the without black lives mattering right now, nothing else matters. Like we cannot expect our community members to, um, you know, hold their tongue and expect that their lives mean nothing at the expense of others. We need everyone to come together, to collaborate, to listen to each other. And if you feel uncomfortable or you don't understand something, you can educate yourself to be an ally. You know, and being an ally isn't only about uh, reading, it's about also taking action and supporting organizations that are doing this work, collaborating with them. It's also using your power, your vote, and ensuring that the officials that you vote for understand and are not only giving you lip service when it comes to election time.
And if the conversation is awkward and uh, and makes you feel uncomfortable, uh, you should run towards it because chances are it's a conversation that you uh, need to have. Need to have, yes. Uh, Muna Bile has been with us, bilingual black justice coordinator, Hamilton Community Legal Clinic. Muna, thank you so much for the time and insight. Much appreciated. We'll continue the discussion. Uh, be well. Thank you so much. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML. For most of us, crime is something we see on the news. We never think it could happen to us until it does. Loved ones are gone, and for the survivors, the scars will never heal. I'm Nancy Hickst, a senior crime reporter for Global News. And on this season of Crime Beat, I'll take you inside some of the most serious crime stories I've covered. Season six of Crime Beat is available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and all podcast platforms.